sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's really important to capture kids when they're in high school, when they're interested in all of this, when they're learning about government to be able to vote. They think more of those individuals are going to vote Democrats. They think it helps them, just like they think allowing non-citizens would help them. They're at the forefront of social and legislative movements and have earned inclusion in our democracy. What is the problem? We had, we had the biggest election turnout since 1966 last year. If the idea here is to make it more likely we have a higher turnout, it seems to me that's happening. It is the latest push from the left, frustrated with the current conservative majority on the Supreme Court and what it means for their platform for the next few decades. If they can't catch up through the ballot box by winning an election, they want to try doing it in a different way. Now, we would have no interest in that whatsoever. It'll never happen. It won't happen. I guarantee it won't happen for six years. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for being with us. I, I, that was a whirlwind first hour where we had two guests on during first hour. We don't normally do that, but I was trying to find a guest to fill in from where we had our cancellation today. And I just, I, I ended up with two bang on great guests. So it was really a great opportunity. Um, we do have the call lines wide open for you. If you want to call in and talk about anything so far from the show or any subject at all, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. If you want to join us, um, we, we missed a bit. So let's catch up with that. Um, you heard some audio about the Democrats wanting to change the structure of the United States and it's to win elections. And I think it's just interesting and worth pointing out that the Democrats don't know how to lose. So when the Republicans lost to Barack Obama, there was an autopsy report, you know, that went out. And then after we lost again to uh, him with, with our candidate, there was a lot of soul searching where people were saying, you know, no offense to John McCain, but he was not re- the right tool for the right job. That doesn't mean he wasn't a good person or that he's not a war hero. It just means when going up against a young, charismatic, diverse candidate, if you will, that was one of the, the monikers of uh, Barack Obama when he was running and during his presidency. And he had this, you know, popularity that was drummed up for him by the media. It was the late night TV shows and everyone, he's slow jamming the news and his PR arm was mighty. Uh, they, they really created a persona for him that he was so cool and so hip. And that spoke to a lot of people. And we ran a candidate who a genuinely decent individual, but it was his turn. And so we let him have the nomination over candidates that could have really gone up against Barack Obama. And I'm thinking specifically of a couple of men who they were, they weren't as young as Barack Obama, but they had the verbal acuity and the natural oppositional stance that would have made it possible for them to beat Barack Obama in 2012. And that's just the truth. And so there was a lot of soul searching, a lot of angry people, you know, but people were mad that, that Barack Obama prevailed. Um, I was, I was pretty ticked off about it, but it happened and we moved on. And a lot of the discussion that I heard when I would go to Republican dinners or, or any, any kind of meet and greet at all, any in luncheons, anything, people were talking about how to avoid that circumstance in the next election and talking about what was at stake. 
talking about the radical transformations that Barack Obama would engage in since he'd won his second term and he didn't have reelection to think about. And he did. He evolved on gay marriage. He he evolved on so many different issues that he was so steady on before. Right. And he did succeed in transforming this country, not for the better. And so there, there are, of course, it's always good for us as a country with our history for, from slavery and, and, you know, Jim Crow and all of that. We can never take away the fact that it, it's a good thing that we had so many Americans, specifically the white Americans, because they're the ones who put them over the top, who voted for a black president. That, that happened. That's a part of our history now. Whether or not they were misguided in voting for him, or as someone just recently wrote me, he's not the first black president because he's biracial. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to traffic in that. It's, it's a waste of time to try to parse out how black he is or what have you. He presents, you know, to the, to the eye as a black person. He, that's, that's what he claimed and, and that's what he is. Um, I think we're wasting time arguing about that when we could, you know, really what happened was people were sick of that process it was the fact that a certain part, just a thin sliver of individuals made it John McCain, the nominee. It had to be John McCain. It was, there was no other. I, I remember being somewhere, I, I've related this before. I was at a, one of those happy hour cocktail things where a restaurant serves heavy hors d'oeuvres and they put you in one of their meeting spaces. So you're in the restaurant, but you're in a big area and there are the tall tables and you stand around and talk. And they had a couple of local, well, not local, statewide politicians here in Missouri were talking at this event. And it was downtown Clayton. And I remember going with one of my friends, one of my girlfriends who she's a doctor. She was like, she goes, let's, let's go to this thing. Did you, did you see this on Facebook? I'm like, yeah, I did. She's like, let's go. I said, ooh, I always go by myself. She said, not tonight. We're going together. Let's go. So we went, and we're standing around. Like, we're over on the side. And we each had a little plate of hors d'oeuvres, and we're just talking and, like, looking around at everybody. And a couple of, uh, you know, elected people came over. They're like, hello, what are you, you know, what are you guys doing here? And after they talked to us for a little bit, um, I brought up the fact that, you know, we're still in the primary, and there's still a chance for us to get a candidate who could beat Barack Obama. And he said, oh, that's so cute that you think that could happen. And I said, what do you mean? Someone who could beat him or that we could get a candidate? He said, the nominee is Mitt Romney. (laughs) I'm like, "Uh, no. (laughs) I'm sitting here arguing with this guy. He goes, I I go to the meetings. I I know. And and he said, I'm not trying to disappoint you. And I'm not trying to argue with you. But the nominee is Mitt Romney. It's his turn. I said, oh, you know, I... I said, we already did. It's your turn. We had John McCain go up against Barack Obama the first time and he didn't win. And so we can't go with that same thing. And he said, well, Mitt Romney is not John McCain and and he's going to be the nominee. And so he was like, you know, enjoy your time. Yeah, yeah. We talked about a few other things. He even asked me about the kids, you know, because I I'd bumped into him before. I, I knew him a little bit. And then he left the, the, the little stand-up table, and we, we met a few other people. I remember there was another radio host there that night, and we said hi to him, too. And, um, you know, then she and I hung around afterwards and actually had, like, light dinner because we'd had some hors d'oeuvres, and we weren't done talking. And then we went our separate ways, you know, um, back to kids and, and all that good stuff. And months later, when Mitt Romney was a nominee, his words were ringing in my ear. I was like, he, how did he know that? How was it already determined when we were in the throes of the primary and we didn't even know who the front runner was? I mean, Mitt Romney didn't have it on lock from day one, 
but he did. So why, why am I telling you that? Because that is what we were going through at the time as Republicans, as conservatives, as people on the right. There was no talk of impeaching President Obama, and there was no talk of changing the, uh, you know, the, the, the voting processes or constitutional amendments. There was none of that because we just we knew we lost. We didn't sell the voters on on our plan. It just didn't ring true and it didn't work. And so I, I know I've said on the program many times that part of me is just waiting for the Democrats to finally accept that Donald Trump is the president and move on. And, you know, we've had many guests on the program and I've related that to some of them. I've asked, when do they move on? When do they accept it? And to, to a fault, every guest has said they don't. They're not going to do that. And uh, I kind of was, you know, part of me that doesn't believe that that's true. They're, they are going to. They're going to accept it. But it turns out it looks like they're not. I think Nancy Pelosi has accepted it because she said she doesn't believe in impeachment. She's willing to keep, you know, sucking on her teeth and, and grinning and or gritting her teeth and, and bearing up underneath the Trump presidency. And she's got her knives sharpened and she's ready to do battle no matter what. Um, you know, never giving on anything like she did with the border wall negotiations. I think that's her way of, you know, accepting it. No negotiation, no tacking to the middle, no legacy building, just I'm Speaker of the House again. I've already built my legacy and I'm never going to give you anything that you want. But the Democrats themselves are not in, in, the, in the vein of actually making that transition because they're still talking about impeachment. And, and as you heard from our guest, former Congressman Bob Barr, he, he outlined very clearly what the impeachment mechanism is to be used for. And we do not have evidence of that. And we're not going to get it. I, I repeat the Mueller report is not going to show that the president obstructed anything. It's impossible for him to obstruct justice when executing the duties of his office in a normal fashion. In other words, firing Jim Comey. As insulting as most Democrats find that, they just can't stand it that the dude was fired. It was within the president's purview to fire him, just like he's fired and let go many other people over the course of his presidency. And many other presidents have done the same. Every president has let people go during their tenure. So it, this is interesting what Continetti, he's uh, the editor-in-chief of the award-winning Washington Free Beacon. And he was talking about this, this whole thing, uh, the, you know, the elections, the Democrats, et cetera. It's number one. The Democratic argument isn't with any single one of these things. It's not only with the Electoral College. It's not only with the 26th Amendment. It's not only with the state of the Supreme Court. It's not only with the equal representation of small states in the United States Senate. The Democratic argument, Brett, is with the Constitution of the United States of America. And the argument is because the left cannot win its its arguments when they present them publicly. And so in order to win, they need to change the structure. You heard Mayor Buttigieg right there say, the structural change necessary. Well, what structure are they changing? They're changing the Constitution of the United States, whose structure is there to preserve individual liberty. You know, Barack Obama said he was audacious. This is audacity. You know, it is audacity. Um, and not and not in the same vein, like um, when Barack Obama said he was audacious, he was pointing to the fact that he won an election on 
a nebulous concept that really meant nothing, hope and change. It meant nothing. And so you could ascribe to it almost anything because it had no true meaning. So for one person, hope and change meant, remember, the, he's going to lower all of our rent. We're going to get Obama phones. Other people were like, well, the hope and change means we're going to have structural change in our policy about, you know, same sex marriage and all that stuff. We're going to make abortion more widely available and we're going to give Planned Parenthood more funding. You know, everybody had their own idea about what that hope and that change was going to be. And it was very effective because people just they didn't even stop for a second and say, hope and change what? Hope and change to who? And how do we all get on the same page on that? Um, so mm, I'm not I'm not against hope or change, but I'm definitely against what we've seen under President Obama, but we still didn't try to unseat him or undo the election. We didn't we didn't do that. And I just I don't I I can't get behind the way we're seeing this crack out with the with the uh, Democrats and the way they're they're behaving. I just can't get behind it. Um, so we're going to have some audio from Bill Bennett, who talks about the Electoral College, which is another thing that the Democrats want to change. Um, and and we'll talk about the record one hundred and twenty billion dollars being sent home to the top nations, three top nations flooding the United States with illegal immigrants. There's a connection there. And I, you know, I, I was privy to a really wide-ranging argument this morning about how, you know, it's not our place to say that we should tax those remittances because those people have every right to do whatever they want with the money that they've earned. And I tend to disagree with that because if you're in the country illegally and you've broken laws to get in here and illegal aliens tend to be higher users per capita of public and social services, social welfare services, et cetera, and their kids are getting free educations in, in public school, and their kids are coming here and getting, literally being born here so they can have citizenship, I, I no, you don't have a right to ship billions of dollars home. Notice $120 billion is just a scotch less than the $134 billion that we spend on illegal immigrants every year. So while they're sending $120 billion back to three nations, we're spending $134 billion on them. How do you like that, taxpayer? All right, when we get back, we'll have more for you. And we'll take some calls, 866-963-2037. Stay there. It's amazing, but true. When it comes to one of America's biggest household expenditures, health care, a lot of people think they've got no choice. People are used to thinking we have to do it this way, but they don't. Yes, you have the freedom to choose an alternative with your health care. It's MediShare, and it costs way less than the alternatives. The typical family saves $500 a month, not a year, a month. And if you're single, this can save you a lot too. And let's face it, a big reason MediShare is 400,000 people strong, it just works. They've shared over $3 billion in medical bills, so they can help share your needs too. Joining MediShare for so many people is one of those things that makes you say, why didn't I do this before? So yes, the time has come for something better. Look into joining MediShare and see why so many people are opting out of the old way and into the new. Why not look into this? Just call 855-PSALM-23. That's 855-PSALM-23. 
855-PSALM-23. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Earlier this month, the Federal Reserve reported that credit card debt for Americans hit $870 billion as of December. That makes it the largest amount ever. Obviously, credit card debt goes up in December because of shopping for Christmas, but this number is way above the credit card load for the past. Nearly 480 million credit cards are in circulation, which is up 100 million from a decade ago during the recession. Using credit cards to purchase items isn't a problem if you pay off the credit card each month. Many Americans are not doing that. About 37 million credit card accounts had a 90-plus day delinquency mark added to their credit report last quarter. That's an increase of almost 2 million from the fourth quarter of 2017. As I've mentioned in previous commentaries, credit card debt isn't the largest debt owed by Americans. First is mortgage debt, second is auto loan debt, third is student loan debt, and at least some of these other debts, there are assets like a house or a car attached to the debt load. Notice that credit card debt is increasing while incomes for most Americans is also increasing. Economists point out that while incomes are growing, some costs are growing faster. Some of these fast-growing costs are items like medical costs and food purchased away from home. One other item of interest is the fact that older Americans over the age of 60 are holding a significant portion of credit card debt. They account for about 30% of the total. My book, Christians and Economics, is now available in English and Spanish. In the book, I remind us of the dangers of debt. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a servant to the lender. Don't be enslaved by debt. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Socialism, go to viewpoints.info slash socialism. That's viewpoints.info slash socialism. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Yeah, well, I guess the Democrats might want to get rid of the Constitution next. Uh, might as well, uh, given their point of view. Uh, there's a reason there's an electoral college. Uh, the founders thought... Uh, that we should not be like the French. Uh, Alexis de Tocqueville wrote in his great book, Democracy in America, that uh, France is governed by this large uh, entity called Paris, and uh, that uh, it's like the head of the spider, and the other parts are the uh, thin legs. And uh, Tocqueville said the genius of America is that we don't have the country controlled by two large urban masses. Uh, and if you have L.A. and New York basically uh, controlling a large part of the popular vote, that's what you'll have. Differences are different and in different regions of the country, and the founders understood that. By the way, something very few people know, the popular vote was won by Hillary Clinton. However, uh, almost all of that margin was in the state of California. If you take California vote out of it, and I know you can't unless they secede from the union, <laughs> which I think they're thinking about, uh, the other 49 states, uh, Donald Trump won the popular vote as well as the electoral vote. So it's a, it's a tricky business. But I'll stick with the founders over, the, uh, over Elizabeth Warren. Thank you. <laughs> as will I. Welcome back to the program. <laughs> Stacy on the right. Um, go to AFR.net and Urban Family Talk to find out more. We also have our listener stories that's coming up. Um, share is like a month away. And it takes time for us to warm y'all up so you'll call in and leave a message of a minute or two about how American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk are impacting you and what uh, what what do we mean to you? Tell us. We want to hear about 
the difference we've made in your life, the programming. Have we been there or given the right thought at just the right time? Maybe made you laugh, maybe gave you some information that you've been praying about and, and, you know, joining with us and praying for the president over our meals. That's one of the things that I hope people are still doing. We'd like to hear your AFR story. It could be a blessing to us and an encouragement and a blessing to others who will hear you um, in a brief snippet that we'll play during the week of share So call and share for a minute or two and you might hear yourself on the radio. 877-876-8893. 877-876-8893. We'd love to hear from you. So don't forget to do that. Uh, so you were just listening to Bill Bennett saying, um, that there is a reason for the Electoral College. And he goes all the way back historically and speaks about Alex de Tocqueville and France and how Paris was basically the only place that mattered was, was Paris, France. So if you wanted to be elected to something, you didn't have to go all over France and run a campaign or speak to voters or anything. You just had to get Paris, and that was it for you. And if we went to the popular vote, the only places that would matter would be California and, well, California, Texas, Florida, and New York. Those are the states that would matter. Um, Illinois would not because they, even though they have Chicago, which is a big, huge Democratic stronghold, they have lost so much population from their state recently because of their horrible, horrible corruption and graft and everything else they have going on there, the high taxes, everything, that they don't, they're, they're not a, a player in this game anymore. So he's right. And, uh, you know, speaking of secession, there's this bunch of states who formed what they call a U.S. climate alliance. Again, do we see anything like this with the Republicans? The worst the Republicans did back when Barack Obama was the president was the Republican National Governors Association. They meet all the time anyway. It's not like they met just because Barack Obama was the president, but they got together and they were trying to do something about illegal immigration, which President Obama promptly squashed them and said, this is a federal issue and there's nothing you can do about it. And I'm still shipping refugees to your state. So, you know, beat it. Don't don't say anything else. He totally strong armed the governors of this country. Um, but they did get together and meet a couple of times about illegal immigration and other issues that were really important to their constituents. But that's it. No, no coup. P- people always talk about. Texas seceding. It's a part of talking about Texas, but nothing really came of that either. So Governor Inslee was talking about the states in the U.S. Climate Alliance. He said they haven't yet moved to become their own separate nation, but if they did, and he starts giving some statistics. Now, why would they be in a climate alliance? Because President Trump said, there's no way I'm transferring multiple billions of dollars of U.S. wealth to Europe and other nations in the, under the guise of climate change. So he pulled the, the um, uh, you know, United States out of the Paris Climate Accords. You guys remember that? It was such a huge victory for those of us who knew what it was. And so in response to that, a bunch of Democratic governors got together and said, well, we're still doing everything in the climate Paris Accords. We're going to do it. We're going to do the Paris Climate Accords. We're going to do what we're going to do. So you, ain't, you can't stop us, President Trump. You ain't, you're not our president. We're the resistance, even though we're governors and whatnot. <laughs> So a part of that is that they have this U.S. Climate Alliance. Doesn't that sound like something out of Star Wars? Anyway, here's number six. He explains this whole thing. I led the creation of the United States Climate Alliance that now has 21 states that are committed to meeting the Paris Agreements. And we did this for one reason. 
we wanted to show the rest of the world that there is intelligent life in the United States. And we have succeeded because nobody really has followed Donald Trump. And by the way, this is a big deal. These 21 states, if we were a separate nation, and I'm not suggesting that at the moment, but if we were a separate nation, we would be the third largest economy in the world. Really, bro? Y'all be the third largest? Okay. So first things first, um, aren't you kind of wondering if, if there are any Republicans in that group? Let me see. Yeah, I did. I did print something out here. I'm just going to take a look, see if that's on here. The 21 states, if we were a separate nation, and this is Governor Inslee talking to Vox reporter Jane Coaston. If we were a separate nation, we would be the third largest economy in the world. Uh, the majority of the governors involved in the coalition are Democrats, but two nasty little Republicans are in there. Yeah, I said it. Who, who in their right mind would be like, let me join together with the Democrats and oppose the president? Apparently two Republicans. We, they can always find two. We got two of these turncoats in the U.S. Senate. Um, and I know that Susan Collins finally found her spine and stood up to her friends on the Democratic side for Kavanaugh. I know she did that. But it's not enough to redeem, for, to redeem her. Yes, it was good that she did it, and I gave her kudos at the time, but she's still a turncoat. She doesn't know the definition of a, of a Democrat and the definition of a Republican and the differences between the two. If those differences smacked her upside the face repeatedly, she would still be like, who are you? Were the differences between the two party platforms, she'd say, who are you? Unable to comprehend that she's, well, she says she's a Republican. So I just keep, I keep looking at this. Let me go here real quick. I, I, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to go to the website where I found this story award-winning Washington Free Beacon, y'all know. Um, and I'm going to pull this up so I can tell you, because they have the list of the climate, U.S. Climate Alliance. Um, they have that on here. And so just one second here. I'll be to it in just one second. Um, United States Climate Alliance, who's in it? All the usual suspects, I betcha. So the governors who are a part of this, Gavin Newsom, Jared Paulus, Ned Lamont. I'll skip down to some people who are interesting. Uh, oh, J.B. Prisker, these leftists, David Ige from Hawaii, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, Puerto Rico, Rhode Island, Vermont, North Carolina, of course, Cuomo, Wisconsin, Washington State, and Ralph Northam from Virginia. Hmm. So, yeah, a bunch of people who they just they're unaware of how horrible it is that they want to do things that foreign countries want them to do instead of abiding by the Constitution. And instead of saying, you know, we lost the election and the president pulled us out of the climate accords and what we need to do is focus on figuring out how we can win next time. Um, now, Governor Inslee wasn't done saying silly things. He's the governor of Washington, Jay Inslee. He also said that climate change can't be solved unless the Senate filibuster and the Electoral College are both eliminated. Isn't that something? So he wants to eliminate the Electoral College because he says it will defeat climate change. Now, I can tell you, and this, this is a horror story, so bear with me, but what happens if the Democrats are able to 
succeed in eliminating the Electoral College? Well, we go to mob rule and the most liberal states in the nation will determine all of the voter outcomes. And so Democrats will have a lock on being reelected without opposition for the foreseeable future for the national elections. At that point, when they have control of everything, they would eliminate the Second Amendment. They would eliminate, um, you know, the, the First Amendment would be greatly curtailed. They would the same types of policies you see on campus universities all over the country where you're penalized for your speech. That would be happening all over the country. And they would elevate homosexual behavior to a protected class so that churches would have to hire homosexuals and we could no longer preach the word of God, the, the truth about homosexuality. Those are just a few of the things that would happen right away. And when conservatives tried to go against it, the Democrats in charge would not hesitate to mobilize the U.S. National Guard, the U.S. military, and SWAT in armored vehicles. All of those would be mobilized against conservatives who decided to dare stand up to it. I think it would be the precursor to a hot civil war. I, I think it, there'd be people who'd say, you know what, we're not doing that here. And you would start to see, you know, violent confrontations. Can Americans win against a heavily armed government? I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've read some of the books. You know, uh, Kurt Schlichter has been on the show many times, and, and he's a friend, and he's written a fictional series about a scenario similar to that. It's Hillary Clinton becomes the president. And, you know, the story picks up a couple decades after she's president, and America has split off into three sections. The coasts are the liberal parts and they're one country and the center of the country is, you know, the traditional America still living by a constitution and all of that. And the liberal elites have to fly back and forth from each coast and they're living basically like glorified uh, North Korea. And it's a fantastic book. If you haven't got it, go to, go to amazon.com, type in Kurt Schlichter and these are eBooks. So you can read it right on your laptop. That's how I read them. And so I just, it's just crazy that that's where we are and that that's a discussion they're having, but it is. So, uh, you know, then the other big story, which I mentioned when I was on with Congressman Barr, is about the top Democrats sending out those subpoenas. And the deadline has passed and only eight people have responded. Everybody else, I don't know if they're openly refusing to respond or if they're just taking their sweet time and responding, but they have not yet given up the documents. Let's listen to number five. It was exactly what we've been seeing since this new Congress began. They start, Chairman Nadler starts with a hypothesis. We don't like the president. We think the president's got to be guilty of something. So now we just go out and find our own facts. This is all this is, Dana. This is one of the most blatant you know, power attempts or grabs and abuses, really, of a, of a committee whose jurisdiction is so broad and so vast. But we're sitting here focused on stuff that, is, is, uh, as Michael has just said, he's already testified. Go read. I mean, maybe they're having trouble reading. I could get them hooked on phonics. They could go read that other stuff if they want to. But they don't need to do that. They need to just focus on what they're doing. But this is a fishing expedition. That's all it is. So... What do they get out of subpoenaing people who have very little to do with anything except they have some tertiary connection to President Trump? Well, they hope in the documents, the things that they've asked when people respond to those, that they'll get some insight into something that may have happened that could lead them down a rabbit trail that would eventually lead to something that they could say, oh, found it, found something, found an impeachable offense. And I don't think 
they're going to find anything. But I do think it puts a lot of people like those, the 80 or so people, 89 people who they subpoenaed, it puts them in legal jeopardy because now they're dealing with these hostile forces with subpoena power. And when they call you in to testify before them, remember lying to Congress is an offense if you're a Republican. If you're a Democrat and you do it, you get off scot-free. And so people are concerned about that too. They don't want to be subpoenaed. They they don't want to respond to the documents because that's the, after you respond, then they're like, oh, we see you answered. We have questions about your answers. Come in. And then you're on the hot seat and, you know, it's televised and you're dealing with all of this. And it's just... It's wrong. It is a total fishing expedition and people should not be subjected to it. But that's what that's what happens. Um, so then there's also. Um, I talked a little bit about the. Fact that Senator Roy Blunt had voted against the emergency declaration and I don't know why he did it. And I do have, I do communicate with him sometimes, but um, I've never had him on the show. And I know, and I didn't get a chance to listen. So, you know, my bad, kind of, sort of. He went on one of the shows here locally in Missouri to talk about why he voted that way. But I didn't get to hear the interview. And I still will try to get him on here. But there are some ramifications coming out of that vote that Senator Blunt took. And one of those ramifications is the Senate. Uh, you know, he, he, we're talking about Senator Roy Blunt. He's the senior senator from the state of Missouri because Josh Hawley is the junior senator because he's the newest one. So Christian County, their Republican Party, actually disinvited Missouri U.S. Senator Roy Blunt from their annual dinner because he voted against the president. Party leaders say they're protesting the senator's vote against the emergency declaration to build a border wall. The resolution against the the president actually passed in the Senate. I mean, Roy Blunt helped get that done. The senator's office tells Kentucky 3 News that the courts will settle the border issue, and he did not comment on the protest. The email that the Christian County Party chair sent to Roy Blunt is included in this story, and um, it's from Wanda Martens. She's a member of the Christian County Republican Central Committee. She sent an email to Blunt's office and said, I'm so disappointed in you now I can hardly speak. Why could you not support my president in the emergency declaration? President Trump tried every available means to work with the Senate to resolve the border issue and build a much-needed wall. He is well within his presidential powers to do this. She told the senator, which the letter, the email was obtained by the Kansas City Star, that she did not want to see him when the local party holds its Lincoln and Trump Day dinner April 6th in Ozark, Missouri. It's one of the most conservative areas of the state. She said, please don't try to tell me that I don't understand. I understand completely. Wow. We'll be back with more after this. 2018 was the busiest year ever for Eight Days of Hope. Steve Tiber. Over 6,000 volunteers descended to Southeast Houston over a three-week period during Eight Days of Hope 14, 15, and 16 and helped over 1,000 families rebuild their homes all in the name of Jesus. Also, Hurricane Florence hit North Carolina. We had volunteers, leaders, and equipment in New Bern, Fayetteville, and Wilmington. And then, of course, Hurricane Michael striking the Panhandle of Florida. We were in Panama City Beach for five weeks, loving and serving families who had nowhere to turn. 2019 could even be busier as we plan to go back to some of these same communities to be a glimpse of who Jesus is by using the gifts he's given us to bless those who are looking for a glimmer of hope 
Go to 8daysofhope.com, submit your email address, and we'll notify you of our plans in 2019. American Family Association is pleased to partner with 8 Days of Hope, and you can too. Learn more at 8daysofhope.com. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Jay Warner Wallace. I think we're blessed as Christians that we don't believe something that's not rooted in history. We believe something that had to actually occur. As Paul said, if the resurrection didn't actually occur in history, we're to be pitied. And that's the beautiful thing about Christianity is it's something you can actually investigate. I'm grateful for that because as an investigator, that's exactly how I came to faith. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is coming June 20th through 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. The church has to take the lead in ensuring that men are properly trained for fatherhood. We have an epidemic in which boys are not growing up with their fathers. So as Christian men, we have to stand in the gap and make up the hedge so that our communities are not destroyed. When we see fatherhood as a blessing and not an inconvenience, we will see children as spiritual weapons in our arsenal. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. <laughs> Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com this is House Call for Health. Crack open an egg, fry it up, and eat it. You've just consumed about 187 milligrams of cholesterol. If you eat two or three eggs, you've now consumed more cholesterol than is considered safe in your daily diet. A new study in the Journal of the American Medical Association finds people who eat several eggs each week have a higher risk of cardiovascular disease. Government guidelines on cholesterol have been somewhat confusing. A few years ago, we were told that anything more than 300 milligrams of cholesterol a day was bad for us. Then we were told to focus more on watching our saturated fats, not cholesterol. But this new study from Northwestern University suggests we should again count our eggs. The researchers say they're not suggesting you eliminate eggs from your diet, but you should eat them in moderation and maybe without the yolks. For more health news, go to foxnewshealth.com. House Call for Health, I'm Joy Piazza, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Court documents kind of tell the story of a couple phone calls, a couple emails, a quarter of a million dollars, and a college-bound freshman who had absolutely no idea what was going on. It is just another picturesque street in the town of Ross, and it is just another set of parents accused in this scandal. Diane Blake, a retail executive, and her husband, Todd, an investor entrepreneur. Now, according to prosecutors, the Blakes reached out to the people running the scheme in early 2017, asking if there was a way to get their daughter into the University of Southern California. Emails were exchanged, and several months later, their daughter was getting pitched to the university as a valuable volleyball recruit by this woman. USC Associate Athletic Director Donna Heinel. Now, the complaint alleges that the daughter's volleyball credentials were embellished, and in turn, the Blakes wrote a check to USC Women's Athletics for $50,000. Then, in January of 2018, a donation of $200,000 to the foundation run by Rick Singer, the man said to be at the middle of all of this. Now, in March, Todd Blake celebrated his daughter's USC admission on Twitter, but not long after that, there were signs of trouble. An audit had investigators looking into those donations and ultimately the admissions scandal as a whole, at which point one person involved reached out to the Blakes
Blake's alerting them to the probe. And in a recorded phone call, Diane Blake responds to the threat of an inquiry by saying, quote, yikes, I mean, our daughter doesn't even know. So welcome back to the program. Go to um, AFR.net, UrbanFamilyTalk.com, StacyOnTheRight.com, and you can subscribe at all of those places. You can also find out more about me and what I, the content that I put out at StacyOnTheRight on Twitter and Instagram. Um, so I want to finish the last line of this letter from, um, the, from this party chair, local party committee events chair. And she wrote this letter. She said, please don't tell me. Please don't try to tell me that I don't understand. I understand you completely. I hate it when someone calls you the establishment and that you were part of the swamp. But maybe they were right. Martins is the one who rescinded Blunt's invitation. Now, it's possible for other Republican parties in Missouri, you know, local parties, the committee chairs to follow suit and for there to be a time of reckoning for uh Roy Blunt. The interesting thing about Roy Blunt, if you're outside of the state of Missouri, which I know a, a huge part of this audience is, obviously, um, is that you don't realize how he came to be the senator from the great state of Missouri. He he ran this outstate campaign that was just epic. He visited every county in the state of Missouri three times during during his campaign. He started off in the very earliest parts of the campaign. He went to the Hilton, uh, the, the Frontenac Hilton, which is this huge, gorgeous hotel. with It has an enormous meeting space, and they have a lot of events there. And he was in the lobby, which is a very large open area. And they have these oversized chairs. It's like a room sized up for giants with these giant-sized chairs in them and this giant coffee table. And I remember getting invited to go over there and, and chat with him. And he said, I can ask him any questions. And he was specifically concerned because at the time I was an elect elected school board member. But by then I still, I had, I had tens of thousands of followers on Twitter and Facebook. And I, I had a real presence. And if I'd said, I don't, I'm, I'm not for Roy Blunt, you know, it, it would have been a negative impact. And I knew that was why he asked me over to chat. And so I asked him some questions about school choice and his positions on that. And his answers were, they were, they were good. I mean, I wasn't bedazzled, but he's never been that kind of a candidate who does like, you know, huge rally speeches and, you know, people are like chanting and all that. He's 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 a very serious, solid candidate at the time. And and so we were we were talking and he and when we got done talking, he said, I hope that this is the beginning of a long and fruitful, you know, relationship, open communication between us, because I know you speak for a lot of people and I said, I know if you get elected, you're going to speak for all of us uh, on the right. And so I said, I hope you're ready for that. And he was like, I'm ready for it. And, I'm, and I appreciate your time today. And since then, we have. He, he, he's, uh, you know, he has open communication. It's been a little less since President Trump was elected. But, you know, I, 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 I feel like he's accessible. I don't understand his vote on. And I, I get that having two Republican senators, he might be looking ahead at his reelection and saying, you know, mm, you know, what could this, could this bode poorly for me? Josh Hawley's the new kid. He's a charismatic kind of a guy and he's, you know, very publicly and ardently a supporter of the president. So maybe I need to tack to the middle a little bit. And these kinds of machinations and strategy, that type of stuff, that's all well and good for you if you're the elected official and you're, you've got a campaign to run. 
but I'm over here. I'm a voter and I'm a Missouri resident and I see the impact of illegal immigration on our state. The impact is that we have hot spots in the city of St. Louis where drug lords fight over turf. Drug lords from south of this country fight in St. Louis City over turf with local gangs and they kill each other and they shoot kids. They shoot grandmas. They shoot innocent bystanders. And that makes our crime rate a lot worse than it has to be. I've also noticed out here where I live, and I've talked about it before, and I'm, and I, again, I don't mean to offend, but it is amusing to me when people think that because I told a story about being at the store and I didn't want to hear people speak in another language that somehow that makes me bigoted or something. That is, it is my right to not want to hear people speaking another language, you know, and violently accosting me with their language by yelling at me when I'm leaving the store. That's my right. Like, I don't, I don't have to justify that. And when I told that story, I mean, other things have happened since then. They've now switched over the, uh, the little payment thing where you put your card in um, to swipe or to you know, stick your little, your little chip in to pay. They switched it over. So it doesn't say press two for Spanish or press one for English. You actually have to choose between the two. So the default is not English. The default is pick a language. And that's at Walmart. So it's not about hating any people. It's just about seeing... These changes are coming about because we now have an increase in illegal aliens coming into the state of Missouri. And I'm, I'm not going by numbers. I'm going by what I see with my own two eyeballs. When the retailers start changing the language on the systems that you use, you know they're doing it for a reason. They're not doing it for fun. They're doing it because people who don't speak English are using their stuff and they want them to be able to use it. And so... You know, if, if I see the earliest inklings of change here in the state of Missouri, and we're right in the middle of the country, I don't know why an illegal alien would want to come live here. We're not a sanctuary city. We're not a sanctuary state. But obviously the living is pretty good here, contrary to what people say about our crime rate and how big companies are leaving. A lot of people are moving here, including illegal aliens. And I just fail to comprehend why President Trump and his emergency declaration would be a problem for Senator Roy Blunt. And so if I didn't know him at all, I'd be like, um, you know, I, I would say, well, you know, um, he must be some kind of a rhino, but I'm pretty sure he's not. Like he's, I know he's not a rhino. He's pretty conservative, actually. So I don't get this. And it's fine. As a senator, he has to make decisions about what votes he's going to take, and then he has to live with the ramifications. But I just, I'm telling you, the letter from that GOP party, uh, you know, she's the committee chairperson for the, for the events, and her action, she didn't take that in a silo by herself like she was just going rogue and everybody else was like, no, bring him in. She made that decision, eyes wide open. And it was a statement. She's down in the Ozarks, which is a Republican stronghold. I mean, rib-rocked conservative town. It's also the, the home, generally speaking, down in that same area of the Hard Work U, College of the Ozarks. So this is a precursor. It's basically like a shot off the bow, like, you know, we're riding dirty with Roy Blunt. He's not one of us anymore. We got we, we to gotta teach him a couple things. Who else is in? And that's what starts the ball rolling for others to do the same. 
I don't know if they will, but I just see it as her making a statement and she's not doing it alone. So I just wonder what he, what, what does he plan to do to patch this up? Because these are areas like uh, when he was running, I remember we made two kind of outstate driving trips during that campaign season. And both times, and they were in opposite directions in the state. And both times I saw the further out of St. Louis we got, the bigger the Roy Blunt signs got. There were Roy Blunt signs on the side, you know, when you're driving down the highway and you've got the green space and it's land that's owned by some person. You don't know who's, who's, who owns it or whose house it is. And there would be a sign that was literally 50 feet by 10 feet staked in well. So it's, you know, like not moving against the elements. Roy Blunt for U.S. Senate. It would be on the side of the highway um, far off. So it's not on the easement or any on any public property. It's on private property, but it's a huge sign. And this was the situation all over the state. And so that's why I don't understand why after all that campaigning and all that goodwill and all that work and all those people voting for him and pushing him over the top and handily putting him in office, how he could go against President Trump. The state of Missouri went for President Trump by over 18 points in 2016. Yeah, talk about him in St. Louis. You people will get triggered. Try to push your little uh, MAGA hat off your head. You might get some violence. But in the outstate, it's red, 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 red. So I don't, I don't get this. I don't get what he what he was doing there. Um, I did talk a little bit about this story. This journalist who's accusing Twitter of testing a more extreme shadow ban technique on his account. So first off, Twitter admitted on Monday to removing a post from the Federalist co-founder Sean Davis. He claims the platform actually shadow banned, which is hiding content, the post. He says they hid the post. They didn't remove it. The post was about Lisa Page's congressional testimony, and it was shown as an active post when David looked at it on his account. But the URL actually displayed the same way as a deleted tweet for other users, making it invisible to the public. So you know what this is. When you're on Twitter, when someone tweets something, the link appears as a little box that you can click on and it takes you out of Twitter. Well, the link that he had for Lisa Page's testimony appeared as a deleted tweet. So no one would click on it. So no one would go to the content. He said, is at Twitter experimenting with shadow bans by deleting tweets so others can't see them, but keeping them visible to you while you're logged in? I had to republish my original Lisa Page transcript tweet because it was disappeared to everyone but me. Then... A day later, he published a follow-up post containing an email Twitter had sent to him, which he says admits that the post had been shadow banned. He said, our priority is to keep this. This is the, the email that he got from Twitter. Our priority is to keep people safe on Twitter. As a part of that work, we err on the side of protecting people and sometimes mistakenly remove content that doesn't break our rules. When those mistakes happen, we work quickly to fix them and we have corrected the issue. He said, why would Twitter remove this post but make it appear as if they had not removed it to him, the, the poster, the, the tweeter? He said, Con- Twitter confirmed to me today via email that they, they did shadow ban one of my tweets about Lisa Page's congressional testimony in order to keep people safe. So he asks, is this a con or a feature? He says they also gave him no notice or explanation when they did the shadow banning which was another tweet that he sent out about Russian interference in the elections. But worse now is how Twitter apparently gives its users the fraudulent impression that their tweets, which t- Twitter secretly bans, are still public. 
They previously denied shadow banning users, including Representative Matt Gates and others. Now, the president has said he would look into it. And this story is being reported over at Breitbart Tech. Um, I just don't think it's it's fair to try to have the president looking into what Twitter is doing. There has to be somebody else in the government who could look into that and make it possible for them to be held accountable. But as a private corporation, you know, I just wonder how much longer we're going to be on there, right? How much longer is it going to be a viable platform for everyone to be on? Because right now it's, it's a leftist echo chamber and they get to have all the fun on there. And if you send something out that offends any one of their moderators, it just, as he said, it gets shadow banned. And I'm currently in a, a lost leader spiral where if I have 90 new followers in a week, I have 180 lost they just disappear, 180 followers. And I have a little, um, it's this little service that I signed up for that's free that tracks your unfollows. And, but mine aren't all unfollows. Some of the accounts are being deactivated. Some of them are straight up unfollows. And the people who are doing the unfollowing are conservatives, which I'm, I'm asking myself, are they unfollowing me or is Twitter doing something? So um, tomorrow we'll get to the story about Portland State University, which basically they've demonized making jokes. If you make a joke and someone doesn't like it, then they can report you to the bias review team and they don't have to tell you that they did so. They keep their identity a secret and then they'll come after you. We'll talk about that tomorrow. And we will also delve into this Border Patrol story about them. The detention centers are full, they say, and now they're releasing the migrants into the country. Same thing they were doing under Barack Obama, only this time it's President Trump. We just got to keep praying about that issue. It's amazing how demonic this whole situation is with the border. All right, that's the show for today. God bless you. I hope you have a great night this evening. I'll be back with you tomorrow.